Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And today we'll be talking about tech debt and trust. But before we continue, we have two guests today. We have Madeline Freed and Sam Handler. How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Hey. Hey. It's going good. Awesome. Well, we're talking about tech debt and trust. And we'll be going through some the definition of tech debt and how do we actually get that point across to our team members so we can actually get and fix up code that we have. So tell us, what do engineers mean by technical debt? It's a good question, Mike. (laughs) 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 There's like the dictionary definition that we've been saying which I don't have in front of me I right have now. It. I have it. Sam, I have it. go do it. Wikipedia says, technical debt, also known as design debt or code debt, is a concept in software development that reflects the implied cost of additional rework caused by choosing an easy solution now instead of using a better approach that would take longer. Mm. Isn't the easy solution the better approach? Uh, no. Wrong, Dave. <laughs> oh, wait. Wait, <laughs> Sorry. wait, wait. It depends on context oh yeah yeah, it does i this term tech debt was first used by ward cunningham in 1992 yeah 1992 founding father he's the founding father he he signed the the agile manifesto he's a great guy declaration of independence (laughs) for software engineers he's, (laughs) he's the alexander hamilton it's a useful metaphor for certain circumstances because if you tell that to a business person, you know, they it means something bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one wants to be like in debt. It's like if you're in debt, it's like you got to do something about that. You got to pay that off. Otherwise, right. like, you know, it gets worse. It's like compound interest sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, the man. You don't want to carry, <laughs> carry a balance. Yeah. You don't want to carry that balance. That's rough. And but like uh, with, with a startup, like often, you know, they're living their lives like investing money and kind of going into debt in a way. It's true. Debt can be useful. I think mm-hmm. that the reason that this metaphor like struck us sort of was that it sets up this idea that tech debt and the things that we call tech debt are hard to explain to business people. And that you have to give it sort of a spooky word so that people will pay attention to you so that you're allowed to work on it. And that that is very useful in a lot of contexts. But it can sometimes obscure what's actually kind of easy about explaining tech debt. So, yeah. And like, I guess one other thing, apart from like this very useful idea that you know you're you're this developer there making a rational decision um and you're like oh i'm not going to write tests for this because we got to ship this by tomorrow and like if i don't like this contract's not going to be fulfilled and the company will collapse and then you know you live with that decision but there's also this really important aspect of what we call technical debt which is just like there are all these aggregated like accumulated horrible or not so horrible decisions from however many years your code base has been around and you like as a developer you know you didn't make a lot of those choices like if you start working somewhere and they're on rails 3 and you started learning rails when it was at rails 5 and you're just like now i have to upgrade rails 3 to rails 5 that's like 
you know, you didn't take out that loan kind of thing. Um, <laughs> right. And the, that's, guy, the guy who took out that loan is like probably moved on. Right. Totally. That like he's, he's still got like a slack emoji or whatever. <laughs> but, he's like, but he's like, you know, his decisions live on and people are like, oh man, like, yeah, Larry just like did not want to upgrade. And then he like peased out. So that's, but it's like sort of like this shared debt burden that everyone has, which makes it all the more important for the team to be able to like discuss it with, you know, uh, other parts of the organization. Cause it's like, you know, the person that made that trade off may not even be there anymore. Yeah. I, I like, I like thinking about the retrospective prime directive with, uh, with legacy code like that. It's like, you know, regardless of what we discover, we know that everyone did the best they could with what they had at the time. Yeah, that's a big thing for me when we talk about technical debt, which is that there's a big engineering culture about ragging on all the shitty code you have to interact with and all of the terrible decisions that some random person made eons ago that you now have to struggle with. Yeah, as opposed to my like completely unterrible decisions that I'm making every day. You are not smarter than that because as I said, (laughs) last time I talked about this, one day you will blame that and it will have been you yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah so yeah be kind yeah. to to all those terrible decisions that someone had to make that one one time long ago right like tech debt is like everyone else's code and your own code that you wrote six months ago basically <laughs> oh man like two months ago <laughs> two months let's be okay. honest <laughs> uh, right there's also this concept which is like pretty ill-suited to a podcast, but if you're <laughs> listening, um, it's called Martin Fowler has the idea of like um, tech debt quadrants. Basically, they're just, I don't know, maybe you can think about, you know, pick two of these and they can describe any kind of tech debt. There's like sort of reckless and prudent debt. So, so there's like an axis between reckless and prudent. Oh, we don't have to visually describe oh. this. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm visualizing it right yeah, now. No, podcasting uh, is obviously yeah. a visual media. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Famously. Close your eyes the, for a moment. Yeah, the square. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's the top left? <laughs> what's Quadrants. on the top left? It's so reckless and prudent. It's, it's uh, <laughs> reckless and prudent and then deliberate and inadvertent. So you can have reckless and deliberate where you are being like, I know this is a bad choice and I'm doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Or like deliberate and prudent, which is like, all right, we need to ship this without tests because like literally uh, the website is down. So we just got to fix it. Or reckless and inadvertent where you just like didn't do a lot of advanced work uh, to Mm -hmm. like try to solve a problem or do research. So you, you know, didn't know about a pattern or the last one would be prudent and inadvertent, which is uh, you took your time, you tried to make the right choice and you made a measured attempt to write good code, but you just like kind of missed something. Mm. So anyway, those are like the, the Fowler has these quadrants, which I think are pretty good, but they kind of get at like encapsulating, you know, deliberate trade-offs and just like stuff that like accumulates for various reasons. Yeah. We got to remember to put that in the show notes so that people can listen to that and actually see the quadrants themselves as well. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine these quadrants for like, you know, messes I leave around my house too. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Reckless and prudent. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm late to work, so I'm just going to leave these dishes here. (laughs) Oh, you're one of those. You knew all of the... 
all of the factors in place. Yeah, and you want to move up and to the right as all yeah, graphs. Yes. You want to be otherwise more prudent. Otherwise, we're going to get ants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you have ants anyway. That's when you were... Pru- What's the other axis, Sam? It's prudent and... Uh, inadvertent. inadvertent. Yeah, yeah, you did oh. your best, but ants still come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, damn yeah. ants! Sometimes that happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I think that when we say like there are all these difficulties, we know the feeling of taking on our own tech debt, and especially when we are like living in the tech debt of of our forebears, that it's hard to make the argument to business people to work on it. I'm sure. Everybody here has had mm-hmm. a tough time convincing someone. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have stories like of trying to make the case to someone and not being able to? Well, yeah, it's like, oh, even like the concept of testing can go over people's heads. And it's, you want to explain to, you know, the project manager or the product manager, like, hey, this is going to take the rest of the day because we want to make sure that we have coverage to ensure that this is not going to happen again. And oftentimes the response is, but I mean, you're writing it, right? So why don't you just write it the best that you can so that it doesn't happen or there are no problems ever. <laughs> I was like, oh, but you don't know that you're going to run into a problem in the future, but you can have tests that will cover those problems when they arise. Right. And that's yeah. usually like the really difficult part. I was like, oh, I want to I make sure that these things are covered. And I was like, but you write Good code, right? Like, isn't that what you do? And I was like, yeah, but it's because <laughs> you write tests. Except when you write bad code. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, except until the, the website goes down. And then it's like, mm-hmm. then you got to write yeah. more code with no tests. Yeah, then you're no longer that guy who writes good code. I think, but um, like the case, it's really difficult to make that case though overall. And every every person, every place you work is a challenge that um, but I always look forward to and not at the same time. Yeah. yeah, the like upgrading software case, like you were talking about for for Rails, or like I'm definitely envisioning like specific moments where I was like, let's not use Python two anymore. Like let's mm-hmm. let's move on. We're good. Like let's let's not use like libraries that are no longer used. But it's like we're already invested in it. Right. We, we maybe are not confident in the test coverage we have, and we're just like, okay, this is our life. Well, so what if I told you? (laughs) This is a trap. What if I told you that Mm -hmm. arguing for technical debt should be easy? (laughs) Well, well, I'd say (laughs) for nine ninety nine, do go on. (laughs) (laughs) For easy payments, twenty four ninety nine. So anyway, we've got a premium segment at the end of this. Um, Subscribe on Patreon. Patreon. Just send me a check directly. (laughs) Here's my Venmo. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's easy. Why? I think it's easy because if you are making the argument well enough, it is just a business argument. Like the things that are difficult, like the things that are tech debt should be valuable. Mm-hmm. And the reasons that they are valuable is directly understandable by business people. For example, like the reason that tech debt is bad is because it, when something goes wrong, it takes longer to fix it. Mm-hmm. When you interact with a with the code, it just takes longer to understand it. You have to re remember how the you know looping whatever through a million controllers works. Yeah. Again and again and again, that takes a long time and our salaries are expensive. That's what it is. It costs more. 
just period. And so those cases have to be made in that manner. And they can be. And if you can't make them in that manner, you can't figure out how to explain it from a business context, it might not be valuable. Right. Yeah. And so you have to kind of live with that. For you know, for example, you want to try something out real cool. You could frame that as technical debt, you know, just because you want to try GraphQL, which by the way is great. It's but, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it may not actually be paying down technical debt. It may actually be taking it on. And you have to be okay with with trying to make your case from a business perspective and having somebody say no. But if you're good enough at making that case, I think that everything can be boiled down to that. And like, right. if, yeah. you, if you're making the case, it's like, you can't, you can't make the case in a technical way. Like Madeline was saying, it's like, if you're like, oh yeah, it'll make it so much easier to add more controllers. It's like, okay, well that means literally no one <laughs> or means literally nothing to someone that's not already writing code. You have to be like, it'll make it faster to write features in this pretty concrete way. And then that becomes something that you can negotiate uh, about or, or make the case for. Right. Um, Cause if you're not putting that's, and that's why you have the concept of technical debt in general is so that you can communicate those concepts. Yeah. I think that that's, it's, it's hard. It's, it can be a real heavy lift. I'll say in right. businessy speak yeah. um, <laughs> to explain what tests are, to explain what versions, you know, of, you know, big infrastructure are to someone who doesn't do that as their job. Right. But uh, fortunately and unfortunately for us, that's our job (laughs) (laughs) to be able to explain that (laughs) and to be able to say, okay, I can actually explain why uh, having good tests, having well-written method names, whatever it is, is important. I need to get you to care about that, even though it's not your job to understand it. Yeah, just to reiterate what Madeline had mentioned, I try to use time and money as part of the explanation to why we should pay down this tech debt. I think uh, what Sam mentioned about being able to, oh, we need to refactor this particular part of the code base because it'll allow the ease of releasing more features if we do this now will incentivize the business to want to do that because they want more features out faster Mm -hmm. and to explain to the business that you know the fact that this particular piece of code is difficult to work with takes a longer time to release code that we should work on making it easier for everyone to work in this particular domain or in the application uh, will incentivize the business to want us to spend time on that so that we can release things faster than we normally can yeah I think that there's a couple ways, like there's a couple ways to make that argument stronger, which is to put it in a business context. Right. To and I think that there's like there's a good faith portion of it that right. engineers have to to behave in accordance <laughs> with, which is you have to be trying to explain it to a non-technical audience. You have to be doing your best to, you know, be empathetic to other people's understanding, take the time maybe go to a meeting, maybe draw a diagram, right. like be kind of doing that legwork to make what your argument is understandable. Right. And then also 
you have to, oh, there are two more things. One is that have kind of an idea of how long something is going to take or have a way to investigate how long it's going to take. Right. Don't be a ninja hero 10x or whatever the hell um don't go go off and do it by yourself like work as part of the team and and if you try to make your case and people aren't believing you and they make a decision that you don't like be chill except you know accept the decision if you did your best to make the case in a business context yeah i feel like engineers like when they're really close to the code, like I've felt this before where I'm just like, I'm the only one that knows how this works. And like, I've just really know what needs to be done to make this better. And it's going to make, and it's like, yeah, you're the hero. Yeah. Well, okay. But like someone else could like spend like, you know, four days and then they would be the one that like knows how it works. And like, (laughs) like, uh, not that big a deal. And like, you really need to understand yourself. Like the business has to be healthy for you to get a salary I guess, you know, depending on what startup you're at, but, uh, but, <laughs> but like, you know, the, the, the overall success of the business is like what matters and like the engineering team, like, you know, if awful code could sustain the business, like that might actually be the right choice. It's just like empirically not if you want to have a sustainable code base. Right. And that's even kind of built into the agile manifesto to a degree. You're really more concerned with the working software. Right. Like, mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be beautiful software or like debt free software, but just working. I, I really like that idea of like having empathy for the other people, like the the business people, and also like the idea of like having self understanding about like you know, knowing, being able to separate what's important for you personally and what's important for like the larger goals of the team. Cause that can be a little bit challenging. Like, like Sam was saying, like when you get really invested in the project. Yeah. So I guess that the, the upshot of all of this is that you can make the best, most pristine argument you could ever make. It's so beautiful. Diagrams. So many diagrams. Graphs, PowerPoint. You've been having meetings for years. Party favors at the meetings. You bring Ooh. snacks. Ooh. Good snacks, Good too. Good snacks, yeah. Mango LaCroix, yeah. <laughs> mango. Coconut? Yeah, if I want to estrange the audience, I could tell them that my favorite uh, LaCroix flavor is coconut. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. LaCroix flavor Subscribers, all of our Patreon donations. <laughs> no. Oh. Anyway. You can make this pristine argument and give out everyone coconut LaCroix, mm-hmm. but it can go nowhere. And if you don't have trust in your team, mm. and if the team doesn't have trust in you, trust is the number one way to get the things you want done in your organization. And there's a lot of ways to tell whether you have trust in your team. It's like, I'm kind of just parroting some XP concepts of right. the whole team where, you know, mm-hmm. who is the whole team? Who's in the room? Who's in your team room? Is everyone who's important to make a decision there for the important conversations? You know, ask yourself, like, how many steps do I need to take to talk to the important people? Do I need to stand up from my chair? Do I need to open a door? Do I need to like talk to a you know, executive assistant to make sure, you know, right. those or kinds of questions? schedule a meeting, like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Is it hard? How right. hard is it? How much friction? And also, you know, do you, who comes to your standups? Are they useful? And I think a big part of whole team is like, 
it is not the tech team versus the product team. It is not the tech team versus the business team. That's right. like the biggest problem in New York tech right now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> is that there it's on two opposing times teams. You are the team. So figure out how to invite them. So there's a way to build trust on your team. And uh, Sam, how yeah. do you get away, Sam? <laughs> Away, Sam. Okay, here's your 10 point plan for improving right. trust on your team. This is, give them the just first 10? five. Just give okay. them the first five, and then the rest they got to pay on Patreon. Is that, is that uh, what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. No, these are like kind of common sense things. So the big one is just sort of the forming human relationships piece. Mm-hmm. That's it. Pretty <laughs> much everything. Beginning and end. <laughs> the, everything that I'm about to say is kind of about okay, like form a human relationship. So part of that is forming relationships with like the right people, which is as Madeline says, is the real whole team. Like part of that is inviting like the actual whole team to stand up. Mm-hmm. So like if you don't have stand up, think about why that is. But then yeah. also for retrospective, like everyone that you know, is on that whole team should be there uh, thinking critically about what went well and what went poorly and having an opportunity to reflect on that. And then same thing for demos. Demos are super important for building trust. Like if you have demos, everyone should be there. And you should also be demoing both user-facing stuff and purely... So if you paid down some tech debt, demo that. Um, Show the before and after. Mm. The people need to know and that'll help the folks that aren't spending all day coding, it'll help them understand what you're doing and why it like makes your life better. Right. And then working on your ability to explain technical concepts to people that are not developers. This is, you know, people in your everyday life, like explain what DNS is to your dad. <laughs> uh, Make him care about it. Yeah. Uh, my dad wow. does not care about yeah, that. My, yeah, definitely. My dad does not <laughs> right. care. Right. If you can get your dad to care about DNS, you are made in the shade. Yeah. That's, wow. that's some top, <laughs> top Stir stuff. Up some yeah. passion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's other simple stuff. I don't know, like have team events, try to have team events, like not necessarily just in a bar. Um, if you're having all of your team events at a bar, you're probably excluding people. And also it can be hard to hear. Yep. And remember. So uh, another thing you can do is to form working agreements. That's like the team gets in a room and they brainstorm stuff that they can all agree on about how they work. And this is really good for building trust, especially across multiple like functions from developers to products to sales to whatever. If part of the working agreement could be like, check your email once a day or respond in Slack with an acknowledgement within two hours if someone adds you, that kind of thing. Yep. And that can do a lot to build trust because then you sort of know the rules of the road for interacting with one another. And when you don't, when you, when someone happens to break those rules, then people can either reconvene and discuss why the rule is broken. Right. And if there is an extreme case, there should be a discussion as to whether we should keep it or whether people who are violating need to get in line with the working right. agreement. But everyone would trust each other and that they're following rules that everyone agreed with. Yeah. Right. It's good for when, when the rules are broken, you can point to the wall where the rules are. You know, it's just right. like, yeah. it's not the, it doesn't mean that everyone will always follow them forever. Right. Yeah. But you have a shared context and you don't yeah. need to feel bad about being that guy yep yep you know you can put in all the process that you want if the team isn't trustful of each other it does not matter so i feel like the the thing you need to do is be trying to build human relationships period and then you can also do 
process things to make yourself feel better. <laughs> you, know, you can, <laughs> you can like act, you know, it's, it's good and, and it feels good to, to act. But I think that the main thrust of it is, are you building human relationships? So, you know, when you walk towards someone, do they always flinch because you only tell them bad news? You know, mm. like talk to them more often, you know, if it hurts, do it more, speak to them about human things like, you know, breathing and metabolism. Yeah. And yeah, that's super important. And also if, you know, you're having demos and you're inviting people to places and they're not coming, talk about why it's not useful, ask them. And then also, yeah, I think like having, as Sam said, having demos is like the tool I feel like for some of this is you invite someone week over week over week and they see you build it bit by bit by bit and you let them ask you questions over and over and over again. They know that you're not screwing around, right. you know? Right. Um, I guess it's a good opportunity to like talk about like what was hard yeah. and why it was hard mm-hmm. and like what would have made it easier. Exactly. It might be your tech dev. Yeah, exactly. They'll know in detail about the fires that happened and all the pain and, and they'll see your face. I think it's really important that like a business person doesn't just know the tech lead on the tech team. Right. You know, does everyone know each other? Because you're all just human beings on the same team. So there's not like a hierarchy of who's allowed to trust each other. Right. Gain trust, crush tech debt, mm-hmm. win. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's it right there. Do we have any teach and learns today that we would like to discuss? Oh, yeah. I'm new to Ruby and Rails, Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been just zooming up that monolith. (laughs) And the thing that I just finally figured out today is symbols in Ruby. Oh, nice. Symbols rule. (laughs) Couldn't figure it out. Symbols are the best. And finally, I was like, what the hell is this colon thing? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, that's what I learned today. And they are cool. Yeah, the Pretty symbols dope. are great. There mm-hmm. was this old bug where I feel like uh, symbols wouldn't get garbage collected in Ruby. Oh, um, it was like Ruby too, right? <laughs> yeah, Ruby or, I, I think it, no, I think it was older. I, actually, I don't remember. Anyway, yeah. hilarious. They fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, if you were like creating symbols willy nilly in your code, like you could end up like you know messing yourself up pretty bad. So. What you do? You make a lot of those symbols. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Tons. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I had like I have one as well. Uh, I was working today. I was writing code. And I wrote an object in Python, like just a regular object. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like a class? Wow. Or yeah, a class, a that, class. that was uh, representing money. And I wanted to be able to add the money and multiply the money. So I had to use magic methods. And so I was like, uh, you know, pairing with someone and teaching them about how you interact with like the operators in, in Python and having the left multiply and the right multiply, infix multiply, all those crazy things. Awesome. Neat. Today, I was pairing with someone and she did cp-pr and then a directory. And I was Mm. like, what's the P flag for? And she started cracking up and she was like, (laughs) I was like, what's so funny? And she's like, I've told you this three times already. Uh, (laughs) But the P flag preserves timestamps when you copy stuff over. Oh, snap. Pretty cool. That is awesome. Pretty cool. 
Okay. That is all. I you heard it here first. Looked, yeah, you heard it here yeah. first. Fourth, second, or third. You know who knows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't know that. That's pretty I great. I mean, you can still learn that tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I like to thank both Madeline and Sam for coming on down. Thank you so much for for joining us. Pleasure. Anytime. You're the best. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.